has spoken. Understand Asa Shaman. I hope that you're reading the story. If you're not, I'm going to just give you a quick heads up. Uh, you're going to start to get lost a little bit. I'm going to take for granted you read the chapter. I'm going to take for granted you've dug in. Now, today that becomes important. In the coming weeks, it becomes more important because what we're going to do is take a lot of different areas of the Bible that chronologically fit together and put them together and teach out of it. So you got to read it. you got to read it. And you won't be sorry you read God's Word. I can promise that. But I, today we're going to trust that you've done that. Uh, but we're in a section uh, uh, of the Bible that I love. It's Ruth. Uh, I love Ruth. I love who she is. I love what she can show us. I love how God works in her life. I love her commitment. I love the story. I love the love story of her and Boaz and how God brings them together. And by the way, I want you to know more than ever, it's a story for you and me. But it starts out very interesting because Ruth is a very interesting woman in this sense. Ruth is, it takes place at the time of judges, but she's not a judge. Ruth ends up giving birth to the most important family in all of Judaism, of all the children of Israel, but she's not Israeli. She, uh, she's an amazing woman of faith that comes to hold on to God at a time that almost nobody would because it's a messy time, a difficult time to live in. And she does it with her mother-in-law, Naomi, who's, by the way, Naomi's name, name means sweet, but she becomes so filled with despair and, and, and lack of hope that she actually calls herself Mara, which means bitter. Now, now, where are we going with this? You see, Naomi could not have been more disappointed. Her life could not have seemed to go more the wrong direction. And in the midst of the disappointment, you need to grab, as you read it, she doesn't respond well, but the good news is there's someone who loves her through it kind of reminds me of a video that floated around the internet. I don't know if you saw it. It was Christmas time. And a family gathered together to open presents and a young eight-year-old boy is waiting for his. He had told his mother and father, I only want one thing this year. I only want the brand new uh, Xbox. That's all I want. I've got to have that. And so he was so excited to get it. And all these, his cousins are there. They're opening presents. His brother and sisters open presents. And now it's his turn. And his mom says, go for it. And he flies across the room and goes under the tree and pulls out this box with his name on it. And he tears into the paper and looks. And his eyes are wide. His hands begin to shake. His mouth begins to quiver as he looks at the box that says, Pottery wheel. Make pottery fun for the home family. Pottery wheel. He gets so upset, he shakes the box and throws it across the room and breaks into tears. <laughs> and that's why we would love watching it. We like to watch kids get tortured on the internet. Um, <laughs> you ever have a moment where you're thinking, I, I really wanted this and you don't get it? Like the wife who, uh, uh, they went shopping three times ahead of Christmas time at Tyler Galleria. They parked in the parking structure next to Nordstrom's, which, by the way, the husband didn't know was intentional. Uh, they walked through the women's shoe, shoe section. You know how women's shoes on the bottom there. And, and she just points out each time, those shoes. Those are my dream shoes. I've actually tried them on. They're really comfortable. I know they're a little expensive, but they would go them with more than one outfit. So actually, they're economical. And and by the way, I'm a size six. I'm a size six. Three times. Three times she does that. And then Christmas comes and there's the box and she can't wait. And she opens it up and flips open the box and looks at packets of Nutrisystem <laughs> with a one-year gym membership. We have marriage counseling here. <laughs> or the husband. The husband that tells his wife, you know what I want? I want the new iPhone 5. Honey, I've skipped the last two generations, and this is the one, and they have everything I need. It would make me a better husband, make me more efficient, give me an incredible amount of joy. And on Christmas Day, he opens up the box, so excited to get his brand new iPhone 5, and looks down at nose hair clippers. 
nose hair clippers, Nutrisystem, and a pottery wheel. <laughs> you know what? Sometimes, you're, you, we, sometimes we get what we need, but not what we want. God, by the way, there's moments where you're going, God, I, do, you, do you really care? And if you're brand new, please don't miss this. I, I know there are a few of you who are. This isn't about being a, a religion that worships a God who's far out there. It's about, about understanding, if you read the story, you read the Bible, that God is an Abba Father, a Daddy Father, a Papa, a Papa Father. He wants to have that kind of relationship with you. But sometimes in the lower story, see, God has the upper story here where he, he makes everything make sense. But in the lower story, you and I don't get it. And the lines are messy, and we don't seem to understand. And we're like, God, I don't understand how this could work out. But what does it say in Romans 8, 28? That God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him, if we love him, and we live our lives according to his purpose. Uh, Pam and I, and we're just about to jump into Ruth. I hope you're in Ruth chapter 1. Pam and I took a tour of Walt Disney's apartment. Uh, I, I got to tell you, I was so excited. It's right above the firehouse on Main Street. And so we went up there. It was one of his favorite places that he would stay. He loved to go out through the park, but he also loved that. And here's one reason why it was a hugely favorite place to Walt Disney, because his granddaughters would be there. Now, can you imagine being Walt Disney's granddaughters and getting a run of Disneyland? They could go anywhere they wanted to go, do whatever they wanted to do. But their favorite place was the apartment with their grandfather, their papa. And they would go up there, and they had a game that they played all the time. Walt Disney would hand his granddaughters pieces of paper and crayons, and they would scribble lines like crazy. And they would make the biggest mess they could. And then he'd walk over and hand it to him, Walt Disney, the artist, and he would take it, and using the lines they had, he would turn it into beautiful works of art. The hands of an artist on those messy lines would become incredible. And they would always stand in awe. They couldn't believe no matter how messy they made it, how good he could make it. And they would go home and show their mom. I want to ask you a question. What do you think those drawings are worth today? No, they really are, aren't they? I mean, now, now here's the thing. They're priceless. Some of you might say, well, Chuck, no. If they sold, they'd be worth thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars. Which, by the way, you're right, except for one thing. The granddaughters will never sell them. They have made it clear no one is ever to buy those. They are only for the family. Some are going to be displayed in a museum in San Francisco, but they're never to be sold. Why are they never to be sold? Because they're so precious to them because the hand of their Abba, their Papa, had touched it and made something messy, beautiful, and they never want to forget it. Please don't miss this. When your life gets hard, when it gets messy, when it gets tough, when the hands of the Abba Father touches you in your life, it becomes the most beautiful thing you can imagine. That's what we see in Ruth. But it does start out messy. Uh, if you're in Ruth with me, uh, get ready for what happens first. We see that what happens is Elimelech, who's married to Naomi and has two sons, is faced with the famine that's destroying the family. Catastrophe is hit and they can't make it so much so. And they're so impoverished. They actually leave Bethlehem, the city of Bethlehem, and they go to the land of Moab. And while they're in Moab, they're trying to make it. But then Naomi's world gets rocked. She has a famine and three funerals that destroy everything that she can, she can believe in. Prior to the funerals, what happens? Her two sons marry. One son marries Orpah, Orpah not Oprah, but Orpah. And the other marries Ruth. And for 10 years, they don't have children. Now, she's longing for grandchildren and don't have them. And she's probably wondering, God, what's going on? Then her husband dies and her two sons die and she's left with nothing. Now, here's the thing don't miss. She has nothing and no one and nowhere to go. Nothing seems to matter in this moment. And so she literally says, do not call me Naomi anymore, which means sweet. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Despair has taken over. The cloud has come that she can't see through. And so she finally, in the midst of that, decides, I've at least got to go home. And so she, she says to her daughter-in-law, as I'm going back to Bethlehem, I heard that the tide has turned and things are finally coming back to normal. And they're kind of crawling out of the devastation of the famine. And, and so she says, I'm leaving. And they both cry going, we'll go with you, we'll go with you. And she says, don't go with me. I have nothing there and no one to go to and nothing to give to you. And, and Orpah finally says, okay, then I'll stay. But Ruth says, I'm not going to leave you. Are you ready? Now we begin to see in the midst of all the mess, the hands of the father come and begin to make something beautiful with the devotion of her daughter-in-law, Ruth. And, and one of the most beautiful passages ever is right here, if you see it, in Ruth chapter 1, verse 16, where it says this. 
It says, but Ruth said to Naomi, do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. Those words are beautiful. And I got to tell you, as a pastor who I, I don't do this very often anymore, who's done wedding after wedding, that that passage, along with 1 Corinthians 13, are the passages that almost every couple asks read. But I think they forget sometimes, this is not a bride to the groom. This is a daughter-in-law to the mother-in-law. Now, now think about that. Uh, by the way, I am going to be doing Casey Health Lead Worship today and her, her future mother-in-law just a few days away, Maureen, was up here. Could you imagine I'm doing Casey's wedding? And I said, and now we have a moment of vows to show your love. And Casey grabs the mic and walks past Kai to her mother-in-law, Maureen, and goes, oh, I love you. I want to live my life with you. Where you die, I, it's you and me together. Forget him. You know, and... Uh, <laughs> That's not the moment, is it? I mean, can you imagine? But here's the thing. In the midst of her hurt and pain, and in the midst of being impoverished beyond belief, Ruth says, I couldn't love you more than I do. And the God you've taught me about is now my God. And I want to be with you, and I'll take care of you, and I'll watch over you, and I'll give myself to you no matter what. That kind of love and devotion is amazing. And you see something in Ruth that we need to see in ourselves. And so we can't miss that. We can't miss her devotion. We can't miss her faith. Her faith in God that doesn't falter. We can't miss the one thing. Now don't miss this. Naomi complains. Did all of you who read it notice something? Ruth never complains. Not once. She lost her husband. She's losing her people. She's going to have to work a very difficult life. We just don't see that happen. Now, why? Because she's immediately obedient to God. It's called the I.O. principle. And you saw that in Abraham. Abraham practiced the I.O. principle. You know what God said to Abraham? He said, go. What did Abraham do? He went. Now, notice, God didn't tell him where he was going. He just said, you go. And Abraham went because he was obedient to God. And then God said to Abraham, give. And Abraham gave his only son. God just loved Abraham because he did that. Joseph was an I.O. kind of person, immediately obedient. Uh, God said, I'm going to work in you, Joseph. So Joseph ends up in prison. What's he do? He praises God. Uh, he ends up in every situation just trusting God, saying, you know, God is the giver of great dreams. I trust the Lord my God. He causes all things to work together for good. And you and I look and go, but Joseph, you're in prison. And he says, yeah, but I have a prison ministry. You know, he's just on it, you know. That's how you and I need to be, immediately obedient to God. Ruth's that way. God, where do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? How do you want me to act? I'll do it. And so what happens is they travel to Bethlehem. And notice what happens in chapter 1, verse 19. It says, so they both went until they came to Bethlehem. And when they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them. Now, now this is kind of intriguing if you think about it. They're rallying around Naomi and cheering and excited and thrilled to have her, but she can't seem to see the blessing of it. And the women said, is this Naomi? Which means sweet. And she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. Naomi just cannot see what God has in store for her. The lines are too messy. She's lost hope. She's filled with despair. And yet she has a daughter-in-law who's going to love her to no end. Why? Because she's immediately obedient to God. There's another person we're going to see in a moment named Boaz. He also is an I.O. kind of person, immediately obedient to God. And here's what I don't want you to miss for you and I today. When you read the section and when we talk about it now, what I want you to grab are seven examples or seven Seven exercises or seven attitudes and actions an I.O. person takes on. You and I need to be this way. We need to be like Ruth. We need to be like Boaz. And I hope you got your notes and you write them down because you learn seven ways that we practice the I.O. principle when we live our life. And I want you to look at what they did. And here's the question. Are you and I going to be this way? And I hope you'll say, yes, we are. Uh, number one, number one is this. An I.O. person will work hard and do not complain. 
They will work hard and do not complain. Now notice that. Ruth was that way. She had that heart. You and I need to be that way. And so what do we see in Ruth chapter 2 verse 7 and Ruth chapter 2 verse 17? She worked morning till evening. She worked morning till evening. Now, what do we mean by this? You see, when Naomi Ruth got back to that area of Bethlehem, they had no way to have income. They had no way to sustain themselves. No way to actually have something so they could eat. But the law provided something, and that was this. All the fields were laid out in a square. And all of the harvesting, if you were a faithful person to God, we'll get into that more later, had to be done in a circle, which means that the corners were left out. And, and, and the, the law said the corners were to be left for those who had need, for those who, had, who were poor, for those who were under-resourced. And anything that fell off the, the cart or the wagon, which was being harvested, that had to be left on the ground. Now, don't miss what happened. That meant that every single person with the need would competitively seek out what was on the ground or what was in the corner. Now, do you understand what I'm saying? This is a battle to be fought. This was not the easy life. It was humiliating to do this. You showed how desperate you were. But they would literally, the minute something fell, people would swoop in. Battles would erupt. Fights would occur. And this young, young girl, this beautiful girl, Ruth, says, I'll go into the war. I'll go into the battle. You know, it's clear. You see from Ruth, they said, you could get hurt. This, you could de- really horribly hurt and injured. But she said, I'll do it. And she goes from morning till evening working hard and not complaining once. Not complaining once. Now, I don't want you to miss that. See, remember, we've already studied this, but Philippians 2.14 says, do all things without grumbling and complaining, that you and I might shine as children of light. If we're going to be a person who trusts and obeys God, we never, ever complain. We saw the children of Israel coming out of the promised land, made it right to the very edge. They could have had the land of promise. They could have had all the God's blessings, But one of the major reasons, one of the major reasons they didn't get it, why they complained. Whenever you and I complain, we take ourselves away from the blessing of God. But when we don't complain and praise God anyway, and we're faithful to God anyway, we we get ready to experience the blessing of God. And God wants to bless you. But notice she worked hard. Now, I know some of you already know this, but let's make sure we don't miss it. Before Adam and Eve fell, do you know what God gave them as a gift? Work. 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 He gave Adam a job. That's actually a blessing. That's not a sign of the curse. The fact that you and I can work and you and I can do things is a blessing from God. But we need to do it with excellence. We need to do it with all our might. And by the way, Paul in Corinthians says, we're not to do it as men pleasers, pleasing men. Whatever you do, you do to the Lord. So we work hard. We trust God. We follow him. We give all our effort. And by the way, to God, there's no small job. Whatever you get to do in the moment, you ought to say, God, that's a gift from you. And I will do it with all my might. I won't hold back. That's what an IO kind of person does. They work hard and they don't complain. Number two, they follow the word of God completely. They follow the word of God completely. Boaz did this and Ruth did this. Remember I talked about how the field was to be harvested? Listen to Leviticus chapter 19 verse 9. It says this in 9 and 10. Now when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap the very corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest, nor shall you glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather the fallen fruit of your vineyard, so you shall leave them for the needy and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Now now Ruth was obedient to that because she knew the law and she went out and practiced it. Someone else was Boaz. I want to go back to this. Remember, they're coming out of a famine. They're just now economically getting back in shape. And Boaz practices what the law says. He, he, he harvests in a circle, which by the way means he's leaving at least 20% of potential income out. He's giving 20% of all that he has now to those who have a need. He are, he's going to tie 10%, so now he's losing out on 30%. But he's immediately obedient to God and follows it completely. Now, now I want to have you think about that. Now, he does that. And, and now, what does he get out of it? See, you and I might look at Boaz and say, Boaz, what are you doing? The rabbis have told us that very few people practice this. Very few people trusted God with this. As a matter of fact, they were trying to get people to go, you should do what God says, and most no, no one would do it. Who would give up 20% to those in need and 10% to God plus others? Who would do something like that? Look at all you're missing out on. But by the way, was Boaz missing out? 
Well, remember what happened. Because he was obedient in doing this, he ends up falling in love with Ruth. Had he not done this, had he not done it, Ruth would not have been in his field. He would not have met her. They would have not have fallen in love. They would have not gotten married. Now, now are you ready? You might say, Boaz, you missed out. He goes, on what? I got this babe. <laughs> would you rather get the blessing of God or not? See, that's the question I want to ask you. And by the way, you might ask, where did Boaz get this kind of faithfulness from? Are you ready? His mother, some of you know his mother, his mother's named Rahab. Did you know that? His mother was named Rahab, who chose God over the people of her land and God over the false gods of her land. And she trusted God. And what happened is her and her family were saved in the city of Jericho. And she goes out and falls in love with a man named Solomon. And Solomon and her get married and they have a son named Boaz. And she taught Boaz to walk with God. And by walking with God, he's a man of character, a man of respect, and a man of blessing. And and he was completely obedient to God. Here's the question. Don't miss it. Is there anything in the Bible that you will not obey? Is there anything in Scripture that it tells you to do you will not immediately do? You're reading it and go, oh, God, I got, I'll stop this. I, I, no more, God, I didn't realize it. I'll stop. Or, God, I'll do this because your Bible, it's what you say. Are we that, that in tune to Scripture? Are, have you and I committed that every single thing the Word of God says, that I will do. I will never veer from it. If God's Word says it, I'll do it no matter what. And by you might say, but I don't understand. Now, remember, you're not always going to understand. As a Christian, what are we called to do? We walk by faith and not by all right, let's try it together. We walk by faith and not by sight. That's right, right? Because see, here's how, you got to understand how God works. Abraham was told go, but he didn't know where he was going. And God had a place of blessing. Joseph was told be faithful. He didn't know what was going to work out, but he had to be faithful. You and I, get ready for this. God is going to tell you to do things at times, and you're like, I don't know what, God, why? And God goes, I have a reason why, and I'll show you. And you and I just need to be immediately obedient to everything the Bible says. We just need to do it. We walk by faith and not by sight. We don't always know what's coming. We don't understand how he'll make the messy lines beautiful through the Messiah. But he'll do it. Uh, Years ago, Pam and I uh, led a young girl named Kathy to the Lord. I'm not going to go into her whole story. It's pretty dramatic. But I'll never forget, she got on fire for the Lord. She went from darkness to light, from not knowing God to the love of God. She was so on fire for the Lord. And, and I was a pastor, associate pastor of a very small church. And, and we were so small that almost every Sunday, usually me, but someone else would come up and we'd start the service and I'd say, hey, anybody here have any uh, praises? And we were small enough to do that. So one day, I walked out and said, anybody got any praises? And Kathy's hand went up and I said, Kathy? And she stood up and she said, oh my gosh. I was reading my Bible and I just for the first time realized something. I found out you're not supposed to have sex unless you're married. And, and Pastor Chuck, you don't know it, but this guy and I were living together. We've been having sex all the time. Now, a lot of people are, oh, you know, and, and her mom went to the church and she's like, oh, and I see her sinking down. And, Kat, and this guy's like, ah, oh, and she goes, yeah, we've been doing it. But guess what? I promised to God, no more. She looked at him, no more sex. And, and, And I'm like, yeah, Kathy. (laughs) Could you imagine? I just thought we'd have a time right now. Anybody want to stand? No, I'm kidding. Um, She was just, and you know what? All these years later, she's still walking in the blessing of God. She really is. It's just cool. And and here's the thing. I, I don't know about you. Anything in the Bible, because Ruth would follow whatever God's word said she trusted him. Boaz followed what God's word said he trusted him. Now, by the way, let's say this. Based on the Bible, not beyond the Bible, based on the Bible, if the Holy Spirit nudges you, will you do it? Are you immediately obedient to God when the Holy Spirit speaks? You're like, I'm going to do it. You ever had it happen where all of a sudden God said to you, text so-and-so, and you're like, why? God says, you'll see. Call so-and-so. Why? Um, write. Pray for uh, I, I had this happen not too long ago. I'm walking along and I felt the Spirit saying, talk to that man. And I didn't know that man. And I'm looking and thinking, are you sure that one? I, he doesn't look like he wants to talk. <laughs> you know, I mean, God, maybe I could go around him. You know, and, uh, you know, have you ever had that happen? And, you, and you're not going to know what's going to happen until you walk over. Do you know what I'm saying? And, and, and are we going to be literally immediately obedient to God? And whatever your word says, whatever you tell me to do, God, I'll just do it. I'll follow it completely. When you do, great blessings occur. 
So she was that kind of a person. She followed God, the word of God completely. Number three, this is huge. Ruth and Boaz both were someone who had love of others more than self. If you and I are going to be immediately obedient, we have to love others more than self. This is huge. We've got to be people who put other people before us and their needs before us. And we love them unconditionally and we love them with integrity and with fervency. And we don't keep from doing that. And we see that Ruth did that. Naomi, by the way, did you catch Naomi's not the funnest person to be around? I mean, did you cry? Yeah, I'm bitter, I'm bitter. All her friends come, you're back. No, I'm just bitter. I have nothing. I'm empty. Could you imagine? And she just kept loving her. She just kept loving her and taking care of her. And Naomi was old enough that she could not work in the fields. And she was depressed enough she couldn't do anything. So Ruth is working morning till evening to make sure she's cared for. That's awesome. And by the way, she's out in the fields and Boaz comes up and he said to his servant, who's that woman working over there? And they said, that's Ruth. He thought, oh. He says, you make sure she's taken care of. You make sure that she gets extra things. And he calls her over and says, don't go to anyone else's field. Why? It's dangerous. I'll make sure you're safe here. And, and she, by the way, she's sitting tired and worn out when he sees her. And he says, if you want water, you have access to my water, which I give to my servants. And, 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 and then he told his servants, whatever something extra can be given, you knock it off for her to get. And, and, and then she, when she hears all this, she falls on her face and says, why would you do this for me? Look what happens in Ruth 2, two verse 10. Ruth 2, verse 10, if you're there. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? And Boaz replied to her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law after death of your husband has been fully reported to me, how you left father and mother in the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. And, and look at verse 12. We'll come back to it. It says, May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord and the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. He said, I, I can tell you why I want to do this for you because you love. You love Naomi with a passionate, real love. I, it's not, not been missed by me that you love her more than yourself. And, and he can't miss it. God can't miss it. Um, this church is filled with people who love like that. This church family is filled with people who love like that. One of the people that I think many of you here know is Laverne Parks. Anybody know Laverne? Yeah, yeah. When I, uh, I was young in ministry, I met Dell and Laverne, and they were doing great ministry together. And when I became the senior pastor, they were here. Dale's health was already failing, but man, I loved the way they loved each other and cared for each other. And all of us who watched just were taken by how Laverne just kept loving on Dale. And then when the Lord called him home, um, I had the flu. And I knew Laverne's health, that I couldn't go be around her. And uh, so I emailed and somehow it didn't get there and I made a call and there didn't happen to be a machine. And I felt horrible. I mean, I, I, we love this woman and I didn't respond. And so finally I got through to her and I said, hey, Laverne, I, I heard you didn't get my messages and I just want you to know, I really do care. And before I could go on, she goes, Pastor Chuck, I heard you had the flu. I want you to know every day I've been praying for you to get well. I just want to make sure you're okay. Are you okay? And I'm like, no, Laverne, I'm calling to see if you're okay. I'm okay if you're okay. And, uh, and I'm, I could not, you, have you ever been around someone like that? You're like, you're trying to love on them and they're like, they're just so caring that way. And then I, I caught her back here when she was doing decision counseling right after, the, she was right back there loving on people. And I went up and said, hey, I, I want to interrupt. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but Laverne, I just had to quickly tell you. And I've been praying. She jumped up and hugged me so tight. And she said, I'm praying for you every day. I'm so excited about what you're doing for God. I, and she just went on and on and on and on and on. I don't know about you. I love people like that. Don't you love being around people like that who love others more than self, who care about others more than self? And, and that's the kind of life you and I want to live. Those are blessed people who blessed others and they're blessed by God to be a blessing. And, and we've got to be that way. We've got to have that kind of heart. That, by the way, again, this church is filled with people like that. And uh, we just got to be like that. So she loved others more than self, had a love for others more than self. Number four, there also was a love and trust of God completely. 
An I.O. person has a love and trust of God completely. That love and trust God completely. That's what they do. And we see Ruth doing that. And look back at verse 12. It says, may the Lord, Boaz said to her, may the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Did you grab this? He said, I want to tell you something. Because you trust God, he's going to bless you. Because you give yourself completely to him, he's going to bless you. This is the God you take refuge under. Did you, now remember, she, she's come to know Christ through uh, the, the Messiah and the hope of the Messiah and God through the family of, uh, of uh, Naomi. Naomi now is hurting, but she has a faith and trust in God no matter what. She's under his wings to take refuge. And, and Boaz says, God's going to reward you. God's going to reward you. But catch this, the picture of wings. You know what wings are a picture of? It's the picture of a mother hen who when the babies are scared or in need, opens up the wing and takes them and holds them underneath in affection. That's the picture of God. Many people don't understand. When we talk about being a Christian, it's about having that kind of a relationship with God where he takes you that close. He holds on to you. He cares for you. He cuddles you. You come to refuge in that moment. That's the picture of what God has for you. And, and he wants to cradle you and love you. And she trusted God that way. And, and people who are an I.O. person, we trust God in the midst of the mess that he'll hold on to us and love us and care for us. And then number five, she listened to wise counsel. An I.O. person listens to wise counsel. The book of Proverbs says one of the ways we know God's will is through wise counsel. And through wise counsel, you find victory. And through wise counsel, you conquer. And through wise counsel, you find direction and guidance. God promises that. And I hope you're there. If you're not there, turn to Ruth chapter 3. Because what happens is she comes back and Naomi says to her, how are you getting so much? And she said, I was in Boaz's field. And he just keeps giving to me. And Naomi goes, he's a, he's a, a redeemer. He's, he's a kinsman redeemer. She goes, oh my, I've got to give you some advice. Ma Naomi now goes into matchmaker mode. <laughs> By the way, Crossroads, I think we're a great church when we get in matchmaker mode. It's a biblical thing. Let's do it more. And uh, <laughs> she does though, but catch the advice she gives and that Ruth takes it. Chapter three, verse one. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law said to her, my daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? Now, verse two, now is not Boaz our kinsman with whose maid you were beholding winnows barley at the threshing floor tonight? And she goes, I know where he's going to be tonight. Hey, honey, I know where he's going to be. Verse three, wash yourself. Don't you love that? Hey, hey, I know where he's going to be. Take a bath. That's good advice. That's really good advice. No, I, 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 do you know where the term bridal shower comes from? Uh, bridal shower comes from the idea that, and most of us don't realize this, we don't think about it. Up until the 20th century, it was unheard of to take a bath or a shower every day. As a matter of fact, in the early part of the 20th century, it would be bath night. That means that's the one night a week you take a bath. By the way, we do not long for the good old days. <laughs> if you're a part of the Crossroads family, we value the everyday just tell you. Okay. All right. So, so what happened is they would just take a bath once a week. Prior to that, it was once a season. Once a season. You don't know. No, seriously. And if you were going to get married, you did this wonderful thing for your future husband called a bridal shower where you actually took a bath for him. That's a really good gift. And, uh, and, and, and so we forget that. So what she's saying is, she's saying, I want you to bathe for him, which is, by the way, really good advice. But it goes on. Wash yourself, therefore, and anoint yourself. Put on perfume. Now, now this, this is the good that gets better. And put on your best clothes. <laughs> Naomi's saying, honey, take a bath, put on perfume, and you look good. I want you to dress good. This is good. All you single people, this is really good advice. <laughs> it's okay to dress your best, look your best, and smell your best, and go where they are. It, it really is. It's, it's called good advice. And, and, and so, you know, I just thought I'd tell you that. And, uh, and Naomi's setting her up, and, and she's saying, I want you to make this move on him. And by the way, in a very godly way, and to see if God's going to do something with this. And so she wants her to do it. And she says, and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known. Uh, to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Verse 4. It shall be that when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies and you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down and then he will tell you what to do. And she said, catch this, this is the key part. She said, all that you say I will do. 
She embraces wise counsel. She says, I'm going to do that. I'm going to be a part of that. Now, now some thoughts to think about. Number one, I, I want to kind of do a parentheses moment. I, I kind of joked about it, but I want to say this, that, that, you know, if you're single and you feel like God is going to bring you to somebody, this is really good advice. And, and we're really hoping that you take that, that, that you understand that God has a plan and a direction for you and cares about that area of your life. The other thing I want you to notice, she does not do anything inappropriate. Now, now, sometimes because we don't understand the culture, well, the idea that she would lay at his feet didn't mean she was going to do anything sexual. She is flirting. She is taking the risk. She is putting herself out there, but not in an inappropriate way, laying at his feet. So what happens is Boaz is asleep and he wakes up like, whoa, who is this? And, and there's this gorgeous girl there. And now, you know what could happen? He, he could have said to her, out of here. You touched me. Get away from, and then she would not only be rejected, she would lose her way of making any finances in his field. She's taking a risk. By the way, sometimes in life you gotta take a risk. Sometimes you gotta take a risk. Gotta do it under God's care and guidance and under wise counsel. But sometimes you risk rejection and she did it. Why? Because she embraced wise counsel. But then number six is really important. We, we need to be more interested in character than comfort. Ruth was more interested in character than comfort. Boaz was more interested in character and comfort. And this played huge into what happened. And look at verse 10, it says this. It says, then he said to her, may you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to be better than your first by not going after young men, whether poor or rich. Do you know what he's saying to her? He said, wow. He wakes up and finds her there and he goes, what are you doing? He said, I can't believe it. I can't believe how kind-hearted you are, how pure-hearted you are. You could have gone after a rich guy. As beautiful as you are, there's all these guys even wealthier than me. You could have gone after them, and you would have had any one of them. You could have gone after a young, good-looking guy. But instead, you chose character. Instead, you chose godliness. By the way, Boaz was that way. He was a very successful man. He could have married anybody, but he's single. Why? He's waiting for the right person. Ruth is going only after the right person. So by the way, here, if you're single, let me tell you something. If you're single here and you feel God's taking you in this area of your life, you need to be more interested in character than outward appearance. Proverbs 31, 30 says, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. Hey men, all the single guys in here, if you're looking for a girl, look for her heart first. Look for her love for God first and make sure that's what you're gonna do. And, and, and women or girls, you look for a guy who loves God. That needs to be the number one thing you're in tune with. And by the way, that becomes the most attractive thing you could ever see. Someone who has a genuine love for God. And let me say this. If you're a parent here, you teach your children that over and over and over again. And if you're a grandparent, man, bribe them. But, you know, and, and say so your inheritance is on the line. But, but, but you know what is, is we've got to have that attitude because that's what you need to do. God loves love, but he loves love that's pure. And we need to be more interested in character than comfort. By the way, that's not only true for this area of our life, but every area of our life. We need to say, God, I'm more interested in being faithful to you and living my life completely committed to you. And then number seven, take on God's calling for your life. Ruth took on God's calling for her life by caring for Naomi. Boaz is about to take on God's calling for his life by caring for Ruth and Naomi. Now, this was called the Redeemer. Uh, what it would be if you were related, you were allowed to be a redeemer, which means if they had lost their land and lost their property and lost their inheritance and lost their line, their, their genealogical line, you could redeem them back. You would have to pay a price and you get almost nothing for it. It's a cost to you and a benefit to them. And then what you would do is buy back their land and give them hope and help give them family and give them a future again. And a redeemer would pay a price for someone else to have a blessed life. By the way, that pointed to the Messiah. Jesus, who would be given by God the Father to be our Redeemer, and Jesus would pay a price on a cross to give us a blessed life. And, and, and God wants to do that for you, and that's the picture here. So Boaz agrees to take on his God-given calling, and he said, well, there's someone in line ahead of me, but I want to do it. So she runs back to Naomi, and, and Naomi said, how did it go? And he said, he's going to see if he can do it, but there's someone ahead. And Naomi said, oh, he won't rest till he gets it done. So he goes to the elders, the, the, the judicial area of his day, and he says, hey, guys, how you doing? And he sits down, and he waits, and the other man in line ahead of him comes by. He said, hey, hey, friend, you, you come on over here. And the guy comes over and sits down. And he said, do you, have you noticed Ruth? And the guy's like, yeah, I've noticed Ruth. He said, uh, you know what? She needs to be redeemed. 
do you want a redeemer? And he's thinking, yeah. In his mind, he's thinking, I'll get all the land, I'll get all the stuff. And Boaz said, yeah, but you got to marry her. And the guy's like, oh. Now, not that she's not attractive, it's the opposite. Could you imagine, wives, your husband comes home from the mall. How was it? Oh, I married a young girl. I brought her home. She's gorgeous. Aren't you glad to have her here? Don't think that'd go over real big, do you? So, so he can't do it. And then I love this. So Boaz says to him, if you're not going to redeem her, I'll redeem her, but you've got to give me a sign that you really mean this, so take off your sandal. So he takes off his sandal. Now, I know a lot of you who read this, you're already asking the question, what does it mean he takes off a sandal? And I want to tell you the answer. You ready? I don't know. <laughs> I don't have a clue. And by the way, everybody who says they have a clue, they don't know either. I mean, there's people who have guesses, but I, I've studied it and studied it. I don't know. There's nowhere you can find anybody who knows for sure why they had to take off their sandal. Give me your sandal and hop home on one foot and tell everybody you've done. I mean, that's, it just seems like I don't get it. One thing I can tell you is this. Are you ready? It does fit the overarching story. And here's where it goes. God always wants to have a visible sign of what's going on inside our heart. Now, now that's in Scripture all over the place. God wants a visible sign. Taking off the sandal was so visible, nobody could miss it. Uh, God always wants a visible sign of what you've done internally so no one can miss it. Uh, when God made a promise to Abraham, he had Abraham do a particular kind of offering and God moved before, in between it to show a visible sign of their covenant together. When you get, get to the point you're ready to give your life to Jesus Christ, did you know there's a visible sign? It's called baptism. It's only done after you've given your life to the Lord. Only you've chosen to say yes to him and embrace him. Then, not before, then you do a visible sign of what you've chosen to do with God and you experience that with him. God always wants visible signs. And so in that moment he did. But Boaz was willing to take this on. And you know what happens? Then love comes. That messy line all of a sudden turns beautiful. God, Abba, Father, has brought now this, this turning to good because Naomi and Ruth really do love God and because Boaz loves God. And look what it says in Ruth chapter 4, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. And then the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today. And may his name become famous in the land. And may he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you is better to you than seven sons. Did you catch what that said? Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer. The whole idea that God had, the plan he had all along in the upper story was this young girl living in the Moabite land would become the, one of the most important people in all biblical history in a part of the upper story like you can imagine. She would ha have met the, the, the son of Rahab, fall in love with Boaz. They would have a child who would have a child who would have a child named David, King David. And through them, the true Redeemer would come, Jesus Christ, in the line of Ruth, in the line of David. He would bring that about. You know why God never wanted to leave us without a Redeemer? And in His plan that makes our life beautiful is the Messiah. And, and the one that made their life beautiful is the Messiah. And He did it. But don't miss the other thing. Naomi has told something. You thought your life was bitter? God has blessed you now, so one daughter-in-law is worth more than seven sons. You thought two sons were great. Now with your grandchild, you're given the blessing of seven sons. It's in a way you didn't expect, but it's better than you could imagine. Here's the story. Please don't miss this for you and me. God always, always does that. He always does it. He always causes all things to work together for good if you love him. In James chapter 1, verse 17, he is the giver of every good and perfect gift. He only gives you the good and the best. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, he only makes that which is very, very good. That's the story here, that God loves you, loves you so much. He wants to do that with you and for you, just like he loved a young Moabite girl who thought she'd lost everything. That's who God is. Fast forward a little bit from the story I told in the beginning. Eight-year-old boy grabs the pottery well box, is so upset he throws it across the room. His mother leaps in and grabs him, not to hurt him or harm him or discipline him, but to hug him and say, honey, no, no, no. You probably guessed it, but she brings him over and picks up the box and gets him to finally open it. You know what's inside? Not just the Xbox, but every single game he could ever want with it. She wasn't trying to trick him. 
She just wanted to give him in one box all that he could have ever imagined, more than what he had asked for, something greater than his hopes and dreams in that young age. And she was so sorry he didn't get it, but if he had just trusted his mom who loved him, he would have known all along that's what she was going to do. Is that in the story of God? Isn't that the story of God? That if you and I would trust him no matter what, what's he do? He gives you beyond all you can ask or think. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, I has not seen nor ear heard, can't be described to you, nor has it ever entered into your imagination all of the things that God has prepared for you if you love him. All of them. That's what God has for you. Yeah. So that's the story for you. And if you're here today and you are not in an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ, let me be as clear as I can. He could not love you more. God the Father in his plan through Ruth and Boaz and David brought about Jesus who would choose to be our redeemer. He would pay a price by dying on a cross for our sins by giving himself completely for us. And and while we may not understand it, God said, when I did that, I did it for you. I gave him for you. His blood was shed for you to cleanse you completely and make you brand new and alive. Now, now, here's the thing. If you're brand new here, you're not sure what to do next. The Bible says we need to call on the name of the Lord to be saved. You might say, I don't even understand what that means. Here's what it means. God just says, say yes to me. Open up your heart to me. Let me pour love into you. Let me bring you into a relationship. You see, when you say yes to God through Jesus, you enter into a relationship with him as your Abba, Father, your Papa, your Dad. And God wants you to have that. And it begins with him loving you. And then it also goes to the next by you responding within your heart and saying yes to him. And so I'm going to ask you today to do something. If you're ready to say yes to God for the first time, I would like you to do it with me. I'm going to lead a prayer in a moment. I'd love you just to tell God yes to say yes to him and open up your heart to him and get ready for what's going to happen. Today, there's some of you today who, you know what, you need to recommit your lives to Christ. You know that you haven't been living completely committed to him. Now, he still loves you. But I want to tell you, why not trust him? Why not say, you know what, God, no more holding back. I am going to be yours completely. I am not going to be anything less than on fire for you. No more lukewarm. And God would be so blessed by you and would pour love into you and he's ready to take you into areas that you can't imagine of joy. So I'm going to ask you today to do that. Some of you right now might have a lot of pain in your life and I don't want to make that a lighthearted thing. I mean, when you get depressed and you're filled with despair and you're not sure how to function, did you notice that God never gave up on Naomi? God doesn't want to give up on you. But I hope you don't give up on him. And I'm going to ask you today to pray the prayer and open your heart to his healing. There may be some of you today who are doing some things you shouldn't be doing and living in a way you shouldn't live. I want to tell you how God feels about that. He couldn't love you more than he does. No matter who you are or what you're doing, he still loves you more than you know, but he's not, he's not happy with what you're doing because he doesn't like it hurting you and he doesn't like it hurting others. So why not finally say, I'm going to stop and I'm going to give myself to him and open up. So today, if that's you, I'm going to ask you to pray that prayer with us too. Let's go to God in prayer right now. Father, I pray and I ask by the power of your spirit that each of us who are here would live a life that's completely obedient to you, that's faithful to you, that's, that's, that's guided by you. And when it's hard and not easy, may we be found faithful. And when it's good, may we be found faithful and find your blessing. But no matter what, may we be yours. And I ask right now, oh God, that the power of your spirit would move and touch anybody here who needs to open up their heart to you. Lord, I pray for someone who might be here today and they've never met you. I pray today is the day they will. And I pray you'd start touching them and stirring in them. I pray they'd pray the prayer. Father, I want to pray today for anybody who needs to recommit their life to you. They need to come back. They need to come home to you, to your love and to your being their Abba Father. I pray, God, they would know this is the time and they need to come. I pray they can sense it. I pray for the person, God, who's been holding back and they haven't lived completely committed and they're missing out. God, I pray today's the day of trust. Trust. 
Today is the day of faith. Lord, I pray for the one who's hurt and hurting. God, I pray right now in the midst of the pain, they would know your love is real. I pray right now, God, I pray you'd pour your love on them right now. They can't miss it. They'd want to say, yes, yes, they want the healing. And Lord, I pray for any couple that's here right now. Lord, last hour I watched a young couple come together and now they're going to love each other the way they should. And I pray this hour there may be some couples who will make this decision together to put their, their marriage and their family in your hands and start to live for you. And Lord, I sense there's a friendship that needs to be mended too. And the first step is to come to you. So I pray they would. So Lord, I ask right now that everyone who needs to say yes to you will pray this prayer and do it. I'm going to ask that we keep praying and I'm going to ask right now, if you're right with God, would you start praying and interceding for anybody who needs to say yes to him? But I'm going to lead that prayer right now. I'm going to ask you today, if you're ready to say yes to him, just pray this with me. I'm going to ask you right where you're sitting to whisper it. Just say these words. Say, Lord Jesus. Just say those words, Lord Jesus. I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross to forgive me and to cleanse me from all my sin. To heal me from my hurt and from my pain. To free me from myself and from fear and from worry. And to give me life. And I want the life you have for me. And I want your love. So I say yes. Yes, I want you. And I open my heart to you. Please fill me with your love and fill me with your spirit and show me how to live and show me who you want me to be because I'm yours both now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you prayed that prayer today, praise God.